welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Pliming, Warden of Cranmer Hall. And in this season of Talking Theology, it's my privilege to bring you some of the most interesting theological thinkers today, exploring the relationship between science and faith. If you enjoy Talking Theology, do subscribe at your favourite podcast provider. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Talking Theo and share on social media. Thank you for listening. Now, on to today's episode. How do culture and belief affect the way different people see faith and science? How can faith and science work together for healing? How does the concept of a creative tension help us see faith and medicine as complementary? And how is scientific exploration discovering the footsteps of God? Welcome to this episode of Talking Theology. In today's show, I'll be talking to the Right Reverend Dr. Caraway Dorgu. Caraway is the Bishop of Woolwich in the Diocese of Southwark. Born and brought up in Nigeria, he worked as a medical doctor before training for ordination in the Church of England. And our title today is We Care, God Heals. How can faith and medicine work together for human flourishing? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Caraway Dolgu, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you very much, Philip. It's great to be with you this afternoon. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your own life story, and in particular, perhaps what your journey to being Bishop of Woolwich has looked like. Yes, thank you so much. How much time have you got? (laughs) So I'm the 11th of a family of 12, the football team we used to call us. And it was very funny because as I grew up, I told my older brothers and sisters that I wanted to be a doctor and they laughed at me. They thought I was thinking higher than my station. But I wanted to become a doctor of medicine and surgery because I'd seen that there were so many needs in the, host, in the local hospital when I went to visit a patient. So I saw this patient's came up and I asked my mom what the problem was. And she said, well, they didn't have enough doctors. So I decided as a nine-year-old that I wanted to become a doctor to help reduce those queues and those lines at the general hospital. And as God will have it, I walked through the system and qualified in my early 20s and um, went back to my state of origin. And you will not believe it. I went back to do my internship in that same hospital where I had worked in as a child to see people queuing up. Between when I decided to become a doctor and when I qualified, I had become a committed Christian and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. But there was something very interesting that happened during my time in medical school. I traveled to England and across Europe to Austria for a Christian conference. And while I was in Austria, I had the opportunity to see a bit of Europe. And I felt that strong spiritual emptiness that was the experience in Europe. And I felt, I felt very, very burdened for Europe and started to pray for Europe. And, you know, one day the Lord spoke to me through Romans chapter 10. And where, where it says, how can they hear the gospel except they are sent? And how can they be sent except, except how can they be told except they are sent to tell them? And that, those verses came out at me like that, very powerfully. So I felt this strong sense of call to missionary work in Europe. 
And then while I was a practicing doctor, I started to study German. So my fiancé and I studied German so that between us, we would have German, French, and English and waited for where God was going to send us. And then God opened the door for us to come to England, which was quite funny because we came to England back and forth, but we never thought of England as a mission field, you see. And then we arrived in England in 1989, my wife and I, with our 10-month-old baby, and we had two suitcases between us. We had bumped the bridges, basically, sold our property, everything that had our names to it, sold it all, and arrived the shores of England, and I registered to go to London Bible College, where I went to study for a theology degree from scratch. And my wife, of course, being a medic, registered, did the registration exam, and started to work as a doctor. And while I was at Bible College studying for a theology degree at London Bible College, now LSC, I realized the Lord was leading me to Anglican ministry, which was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to train, become a missionary, and work as a doctor missionary or a missionary doctor in the likes of um, David Livingstone and people like that, you know, great missionary doctors. So I put it, I put the call to test and went for the selection conferences and everything through the, vo- the vocation process, and I was accepted for training. I, to my surprise, I didn't know they were going to. I didn't want them to. I wanted them to say no so I could laugh at God and say, Lord, you see, I had the last laugh, you know. But you know how God tricks us. You can never have the last laugh. He always has the last laugh. So I became ordained. I was ordained in 1995. I served a curacy in North London, after which I became an associate vicar and, and then went on to become a team vicar and to become a vicar. So I spent the next 20 plus years doing that. So after about 23 to 24 years in the ministry, I was invited to be Bishop of Woolwich in 2017 and was consecrated on St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, 2017 as Bishop, as the 13th Bishop of Woolwich. That's a wonderful story that you shared and a wonderful story of God at work. I wonder if I can take you back to those first days when you were both a Christian and studying medicine and then working as a doctor. What did it feel like to study medicine where you were in Nigeria and to be a Christian? Because this series of podcasts, we're exploring the relationship between faith and science. As somebody setting out on both a journey of faith very active and also obviously engaging with all the rigors of a medical degree. How did that feel in those days? I was um, I was caught in the middle of what you say a rock and a hard place. You may not believe it. The same effect influence of the apostolic faith in the UK was very prevalent in Nigeria as well. So there are a number of Nigerian Christians who did not believe in medicine, who felt it was anti-God to study medicine. So I went to medical school, throwing those, those lines of objection versus lines of support. So I was caught between two. But in my family, my parents and my family were very clear-minded Christians who did not see any contradiction at all whatsoever between medicine and faith. Uh, so when I got to medical school, we had a very exciting and very inspirational Christian union on the medical campus because... Our medical campus was very peculiar because we didn't share campus with other students. We were in what was called a college of medicine, which was a 
standalone institution of its own. It was very unique in Nigeria at the time. And in all in many different parts of the world, you don't find it like that. So we were very blessed to be in a special place campus called the College of Medicine. And so we had our own Christian union where we talked about these issues as it pertains to medicine and faith. And there were clear contradictions in some people's minds. But in my mind, I didn't have any of those contradictions because I believed all medicine was from God. And I'll tell you a quick story. My mom had a very strong faith in Jesus Christ, but her father, who was my grandfather, was a traditional king of their place. He had gifts in healing. So he, used to, he taught my mom a lot of herbal medicine. And my mom had these herbal medicine gifts that she used to treat so many people in the community who couldn't afford modern medicine. And she started to teach me some of those gifts. And they were just simple herbal medicine applied to situations, everyday situations. So when I started studying medicine, I then realized that a lot of pharmacy, almost all the pharmaceutical drugs we use were basically from herbs. Anyway, we had just been processed and presented scientifically. So I conveyed that information to my mom. She was very excited about it. And I learned some things from her, some of which I still use today. So there wasn't that tension in my family. But outside my family, in the community, there was a tension. But on the medical school campus where I studied, we had a university motto that said, we care, God heals. Can you believe that? We care, God heals. And I've, um, I've enjoyed the, be- the beauty of being able to see God through medicine in the way that I haven't seen him in any other field of study. I've been very blessed to see the intricacies of the human nat- the human anatomy, physiology, and, and the way we laid out and how intricate it is and how it could, not, could never have been a, a work of evolution except that there's a great intelligent mind behind it. So I, I look very closely and very regularly use Psalm 14 verse 1, which says, it is only a fool that says in his heart that there is no God. So that's where I stand on it. I do not see any contradictions whatsoever. You've described the experience of studying medicine and the fact that there was in your college of medicine people who took quite different views on the relationship between science and faith, even though for you there was no contrast. What was the sort of relationship you saw within the culture in which you lived of how people saw the relationship between science and faith? Yes, thank you so much, Philip. When I began to practice, it was a different ball game. You know, because living with living among university students was one thing, but living in the big wide world was another thing. And there were people who were very traditional, very superstitious, who were into herbal medicine. There were people who were very traditional and spiritual and into spiritualism and they believed in the African traditional religion. There were others who saw science as a white man's game and thought everything modern medicine was Western and was therefore not relevant to their needs. And so we would have patients who would be brought to our hospital who were on their last legs out because their relatives and family would have tried everything else, everything else traditional and herbal. And then finding now at the last minute that didn't work, they would then rush them to hospital out of desperation. And we had case after case after case of people who lost their lives in that manner because they didn't believe in modern medicine. They didn't believe in what we did. They believed in their traditional traditional herbal portions. They believed in their spiritualists, herbalists, um, native doctors. So those tensions were there to one side. 
On the other hand, we had uh, people who believed in the apostolic tradition of faith and nothing else. Because any medicine is contrary to the will of God, they said. So they would not accept any treatment offered. And we had within that category members of the JWs who would not accept blood transfusions even if they were bleeding to death and would not accept what a lot of acceptable modern medical practice because they saw it as contrary to their faith. So we had to deal with those people in a different category. So there were the opposition due to traditional beliefs and spiritualism. And then there was the opposition due to a little bit of exposure to science and a little bit of exposure to modern medicine, but due to faith in particular, without anything else. So, but we had to live with all of those and try to educate people about the importance of science. So part of our work was by giving out essential education, what we call primary health education, to help people understand the importance of basic things like why it was important to boil your water when you got it out of the well so you didn't drink water that contained bacteria and things like that and parasites. And those sort of basic things that we need to teach people became part of part and parcel of our work. So half of, half of the time we spent we spend with our patients was to educate them in what they thought were Western methods, but actually were just basic human methods, common sense things, you know. So those are the type of opposition we I had to deal with. And then I started to work in a missionary hospital, which was a big thing because some people wouldn't touch it with a badge pole. Some Christians wouldn't come near it because of their faith position, because they thought it was contrary to the will of God. And if God didn't heal them, they would, they would prefer to die than to be touched by modern medicine. You mentioned earlier that Western medicine was seen as a white man's game. What were the arguments that you found effective in proving or arguing that modern science, modern medicine is not a white man's game, but is actually as a gift of God to all his created beings? One of the basic things we started showing them was that a lot of what we did, as I said earlier on in modern medicine, was common sense. For example, if a child was bleeding, you apply a tourniquet to the point above the bleeding area, isn't it, to stop the bleeding? Or you apply pressure to the bleeding spot. And that will stop the child from hemorrhaging and dying of blood loss. And then we'll be explaining to them that, look, this is not rocket science, because even in our traditional community, the herbalists did similar things. They used traditional antiseptic methods to treat infected wounds, but they didn't call them antibiotics. So we tried to make parallels, try to make the points of contact with them and say, look, this is similar to what you do when you do X, Y, Z. That's what we're doing in form of modern medicine with this. It's not Western. It is medicine that's practiced all over the world. And we would refer them to the practice of medicine in Egypt in the early days and those sorts of things that we knew from our own experience of medical history. So those are, par- those are things we started showing them in parallels. So we started winning them over, especially in the rural clinics, because these beliefs are so deep-seated and so rooted And then as Christians, we also started to tell them from a Christian point of view that God was not opposed to science because science is the wisdom from God that's given to mankind to sort out mankind's problems. And then we had the example of Luke, the physician, who was a a follower of Jesus and the writer of one of the Gospels. That was very big in in our armamentarium to Christian pastors. 
And we also had the case of Jesus telling the parable of this good Samaritan who took the, the injured man to the inn and paid for him to be treated. And before he took him there, he washed the wounds down with wine and uh, vinegar that he had with him. These are natural basic things that we use in our own community to treat wounds. So we started to, to help them to see the parallels and the points of commonality between modern, modern medical practice, which was ref a refined form of what they were doing and what they were doing in sorting out the same basic problems. But we were, more, we were achieving more results because we were doing things differently from how they were doing it. You mentioned earlier that you then, having practiced medicine in Nigeria in those different contexts, you then came to the UK with two suitcases and embarked on this wholly uh, new chapter in your life in terms of studying, eventually being ordained and now in your present role. And therefore, you've got this remarkable experience to draw on of being fully embedded in a Nigerian context, but also living and ministering in the UK for the last 30 years. I wonder, therefore, what your observations would be about the differences in the relationship between science and faith in the UK compared to the various relationship dynamics that you identified in your context in Nigeria? While I was studying as a theology student, during my vacations, I worked in hospitals as well, not as a GP, but in other roles. So I was also within the hospital environment in the UK. Culture is a very important part of everything we do, isn't it? And what I've found is that to every set of beliefs, which we call culture, there are religious connotations to it. And I find living in the UK over the last 30 years that the cultural background from which we come determine a lot of these things. So, for example, in Western educational systems, there's been a great drift away from the so-called creation narrative or the fact that we are created by God. Just taking that example, where the evolution science debate has been rumbling on for so many years, that creation is very, very far down the line of people's thoughts. Another thing, very interesting thing, is the concept of the original sin in people's thinking in Western, Western civilization. Those, those, just taking those two, for example, the average African you speak to will tell you you believe in God. In fact, it's, a, it's an aberration for an African not to believe in God because everything around them, the traditional religion, the worship of the deities and the small deities and the big deities point to a great almighty creator. That's why people have asked the question that Christianity came to Africa at a time when Africa was already already believing in God, and that Africans had never been under a spell when they didn't believe in God. They always believed in the supreme God, but had minor deities that were supposed to be agents of this great God. Now, within that context, the belief in God is easier for people to, to conceptualize as against the concept that were very prevalent in the West, where people think about Descartes' philosophy of I am, because I reason, I think, I make decisions. Whereas in the African context, you say, oh, I am, because you are, we're created to be a family, Ubuntu, those sorts of concepts. So the un cultural understanding of science and faith becomes very, very skewed in people's minds. In the African mind, that tension continues to exist. 
I call it a creative tension, where they hold on the one hand their education in modern science, and on the other hand, they hold their belief in God in this creative tension, knowing that one does not cancel out the other. And that creative tension is very essential because it helps us to understand that there there are certain things that science cannot do. There are certain things that are beyond science. And there are certain questions that science can never answer. For example, I met an Englishman who was a missionary to Northern, in North Africa for many years. And he said to me, so one of the things he found about the African community where he ministered was that they always asked primary questions, primary set of questions, where, for example, if a house is on fire, is burnt to, to, to ashes, in England, we would say, oh, what caused the fire? Was it an electrical fault? Was it an, was it an arsonist? That sort of thing. Whereas in those cultures, they don't ask those questions. They'll say, what was the main reason why the house caught fire? That is to say, they're asking, looking for spiritual answers to the reason why the house caught fire. If you say, oh, if you said, oh, it was somebody that, that set the house on fire, I say, what was it that made that person to set the house on fire? Because there's a reason for everything. Things don't happen without a reason. And those first, those primary questions, those first level set of questions is a different way of thinking than to just accept answers at surface level. So if somebody has a road accident, and you see this in the Old Testament, the, the, cause, the cause and effect of uh, the concept of sin and, its, and the effect of sin in Old Testament theology. When Jesus was asked the question, who sinned? Was it the father or the mother that this man was born blind? Because in their theological thinking, in Hebrew tradition, that son of those parents must have been born blind because one of them may have sinned. So the cause and effect theology was in operation there. And Jesus said to them, no, neither his parents, neither of his parents had sinned. This has been so, so that the glory of God might be made manifest to you. So that's one way of thinking. In the Western concept, people don't think that way. And I think the Western culture has moved away so far from that type of thinking, which was prevalent here, I believe, until the Victorian era, before the troves of evolution and modern science took over. So the cultural aspects and the perspectives from which we see things culturally affects our faith and affects the questions we ask and affect the way we relate to faith and science and medicine. So an average Westerner will not have any hesitancy to go to hospital when they have problems. Whereas the average African will think about so many other things before they come down to wanting to see a doctor in, that, in their context back home and will try many other different things before they want to come and see a doctor. In a Nigerian context and in a UK context, what is there that Christians throughout the world might learn from the way in which these two different cultures approach matters of science and faith? In other words, what's good that might be learned from a Nigerian context? What's good that might be learned from a UK context from your perspective of having been fully embedded in both? Thank you very much for that question, Philip. I think starting with the Nigerian context, because you remember the creative tension I spoke about, people will hold that intention and hold it in mind. So they would pray for a patient who is going to hospital for treatment. So a doctor would naturally ask for permission to pray for their patient. And the patient would naturally say, yes, please pray for me. Because they believe that the sovereignty of God supersedes even Western medicine or what supersedes medical practice, whichever way we say it, either from science or whatever. 
that's one important thing, faith lesson that the church in the West must learn about. Because we do not, in the African context, in the Nigerian context, we do not separate them and divorce them as non-elements of commonality. We hold together the commonality of recognizing that science has its limits. God has the final say because he created all of that. So it will be natural, it will be second nature to pray for a patient. Whereas in the West, if a patient is prayed for, some people frown at that. And we know of doctors and nurses who have lost their jobs in the NHS for praying for their patients. That would never happen anywhere in in the African context. Secondly, because of that creative tension, people believe that the medicines we use, every medicine we use is out of the wisdom God has given to humanity. So people would pray about the medicines they are using and pray for God to use it to heal them. You remember I said the medical school I went to, the medical college I went to, had a motto that said, we care, God heals. Clearly written. And if you travel there today, you find it written in bold print in front of the the medical institution. That same concept is very alive in the minds of lots of people. So I'm taking tablets, I'm taking the medicines, because I care about my well-being, but I know that God is my ultimate healer. Whereas in the Western mindset, the doctor, the consultant, is the being and of all of it, who has the final say. And whatever the doctor says, that's it. And nobody opposes it, nobody questions it. Whereas in the non-Western concept, even when the professor and expert has said it, people will take it to God in prayer. So that's one thing that Christians in this community need to learn is to recognize that God is over and above all our thoughts, even in science and modern medicine. If patients ask to be prayed for, why shouldn't we? There shouldn't be anything wrong with that. I think it's wrong to sack anybody for praying for a patient who has asked for it. I'm not saying workers should just ram it down people's throats. No, 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 not at all. Or impose it on people. No, if a patient says to you, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I am. Please pray for me. I don't see anything wrong with that. So that's one major difference. And as Christians in the West, we need to remember that without prayer, half of the issues we are dealing with are going to be more challenging than they would be. Modern science is beginning to come around now to recognize that spirituality is an important part of healing. And, and sensitivity to that is an important part of, our, of the service we deliver to our patients. Perhaps to finish, I can ask you this question. How do you receive, after all these years of both medical practice and ordained ministry, how do you receive the gift of science as somebody of faith? And how do you integrate that into your prayers of thanks, praise and petition? Thank you so much for that very intelligent question. I've been part of ECLAS, the um, educating Christ, Christian leaders in the age of science. I, I chose to be part of that group because I have a very vivid interest in pure science, as you can imagine, because I believe science is a blessing to the human generation. I believe every development in science is a step of a footstep or a footprint of the creator who made us. Because we talk about inspiration in science, for example, Where do those thoughts come from? Where do those inspirations come from? I believe that God is still in the business of inspiring modern scientists. 
with thoughts and ideas of so many things that are needing to be discovered. Because whatever we discover in science today, we are thousands of steps behind the creator himself. For example, a common passage in Proverbs says that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a heart of despair is dryness to the bones. It's taken thousands of years for modern science to discover that when you smile a lot and when you're cheerful, your, body, your brain produces endorphins that are healing and creatively positive for your body. Every step we take in science, I believe, is a discovery of the footsteps of God thousands of miles behind him. So I, I hold on to science vividly on, in one hand and hold on to the, my belief in God uh, in that creative tension. And I say to anybody who says to me, oh, but science is contradictory to Christian faith. It's absolutely not true. If anything, it is complementary. That's my, my profound belief that science is complementary because all my life in modern medicine and up to this day, in fact, my own wife is still a practicing consultant psychiatrist in this country. And I can tell you that even modern psychiatry has come full cycle back to recognizing the place, the importance of spirituality in the care of their patients. I believe we need to hold both intention, what I call this creative tension of recognizing that faith and science can complement each other rather than antagonize each other, because I don't see where the antagonism comes from. Caraway Dorgu, thank you so much for appearing on Talking Theology. Thank you, Philip. It's a joy to be with you today. God bless you. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall within St. John's College, Durham University. This series of Talking Theology on the relationship between science and faith is being brought to you in partnership with the project Equipping Christian Leaders in an Age of Science. For more information about Cranmer Hall, please visit cranmerhall.com.